welcome you into this week in hockey. Chris Kerber, Alex Ferrario, Joe Vitale with you on a Tuesday night. We come your way every Tuesday from 6 to 8 p.m. following the fast lane here on your home for St. Louis Blues Hockey 101 ESPN. And there has been plenty to talk about over the course of this pause, plenty of speculation. And one of the things we're going to do in this hour is get into a whole lot of it. Now, we're going to try and take a methodical approach here for you as best we can. But now that things are maybe narrowing down, there are still plenty of issues and plenty of different angles to talk about. So coming up in this hour, the American Hockey League deciding to not continue their action this season. That's not a surprise, but it still has some big-time ramifications at the NHL level. We'll talk about the playoff format, the potential June draft. How does Adam Silver play into all this? Yes, how does the commissioner of the NBA play into all this? And there's salary cap implications, uh, phase two uh, potential opening in the next couple of weeks in terms of players. So a whole lot to get through, and let's just get right at it. First off, fellas, you doing all right this week? Doing well, boys. Doing well. Another week, but I tell you what, we're seems like we're moving in a good direction. How you doing, Alex? Fantastic. Just uh, continuing to live in an optimistic world where hockey is going to return along with the other sports. But other than that, just uh, continuing to grind through and enjoy the warmer weather we've been getting. Joe, how many loaves of bread would you say that you have made during this quarantine? <laughs> oh, buddy. I, I mean, uh, Curbs, I've, I think I've made... 15 over the weekend and we're doing sourdough so i need you know it takes up a lot of space in the oven because i make out of crock pots but you know i I did some ciabatta last night i I would consider that a loaf i I bet i'm anywhere close to 300 loaves of bread in probably the last three and a half weeks it's like an atkins diet over at joe vitale's house i had telling you man i had a spectacular cooking experience on mother's day okay so so follow me on this real quickly here uh, I was cooking up some fillets. Neighbor, couple, uh, a neighbor came down, so I was cooking basically for two families, in that sense. Now we we redid our kitchen right in in December, and uh, it used to be with the old kitchen that if you tried to sear a steak on your stovetop, right, the smoke would have filled out the kitchen, right? It just you know the old vent didn't work right, wasn't co- so part of the renovation was doing this. I seared five steaks, had four other burners cooking something all at the same time, and that vent took all that air, blew it right out. It was spectacular. It's like when you know that you did something right, you know, and and you didn't have to – it was awesome just to fire that whole oven up, get a roll in it, and have that vent take all that smoke and air right out of the kitchen. Do you use that uh, piece of equipment that you told Vince Dunn about? What was that called? The Suve? Yeah, the Suve. No, I did not use the Suve for this one. I used the Suve last week on scallops, and they were unbelievably good. They were excellent. We have a cutting board in our kitchen curbs that is designed only for waving it the air because the smoke alarm will undoubtedly (laughs) always go off when we do chicken or steak on our soap. That's smart. Yeah, I mean, this was unreal. Five fillets in one cast iron pan, four other burners cooking at the same time, and the event did it all. I Isn't it amazing? It's amazing to me about steak, okay? So it's such a basic meat, a thing we've eaten for hundreds of thousands of years, but everyone has a different opinion, and everyone cooks it differently. Yeah, they do. That's right. That's right. right. Well, maybe next hour we'll get into that one a little bit. You ready to talk into uh, – Alex is trying to figure out if cows are fi- around for hundreds of no, thousands of there's years. there's only five ways to cook a steak, right? Uh, no, Alex. Seasoning – 
Uh, well, that's not oh, cooking you're, it. That's you're thinking seasoning of dunness. it. You're, you're thinking of dunness. Yeah, I'm dunness. talking just the, the oh, whole process. Yeah, the process. Oh, okay. Well, that's yeah. different. Okay. So he'll, he'll catch up to yeah. us, Joe. He, he's still math. getting there. He's still getting there. Oh, he's a hey, guys, <laughs> listen, let's jump right into this. We got we got a lot of different angles to go through on, on when it comes to hockey and stuff right now. Let's start with one. The New York Post reporting over the weekend that uh, one of the scenarios the league seems to be honing in on is a 2014 playoff scenario. Now, uh, Pierre Lebrun reported yesterday on The Athletic that uh, the two scenarios could be uh, 2014, but there are some uh, executives that he's talked to that might be more in favor of a 20-team playoff scenario where you don't play any of the regular season, you just go straight into a playoff scenario. Now, the source quoted by the New York Post is also one that was quoted a couple weeks ago. So, I mean, there, there is a ton of speculation. I can tell you that while some of these may have been discussed, nothing formally has been presented from the Board of Governors and, and the Commissioner yet. So I think that's a very important thing to keep in mind if, if, you're, uh, if you're listening to this, so of how the National Hockey League has handled it. But, fellas, uh, Joe, let's start with you. A 24-team scenario where the teams that are on the bubble would play some play-in series uh, to go in. Uh, wh- what are you thinking when you hear this scenario? You know, Curbs, I, I like it personally just because the thought of finishing the regular season I mean that's my biggest thing that that was a hard hurdle to get through I mean listen we're we're already getting close to halfway through May we're trying to fit in games to some degree this summer we're still trying to hold the integrity of 82 game season next year according to Gary Bettman at some point you got to look around and say we're running out of time fellas and I think that the lowest priority on the totem pole given all the things i just laid out was finishing the regular season look you're looking at a team like detroit red wings so you got to commit these players you got to commit a robbie fabry a former blue to go to some neutral site he's got to train be in a training camp for three weeks and then finish six seven regular season games just for nothing and then just to go back home and do it all over again i mean to me it just didn't make a ton of sense there's risk for injuries for teams that like boston or st louis who are leading their conference I again, it's speculation. We haven't had any confirmation on it yet, but I, I'm a I'm big, big in favor of just jumping into a playoff, even if it's not 16 teams, 20, 24. Let's get it exciting and let's get the most, uh, I guess, deserving teams where they need to be as soon as possible. Yeah, that's the part with me, and I understand the the thought process of, of finishing out the regular season so you can have the positioning. But look, if the draft is going to happen in June. To me, there's no real reason to have a remainder of the regular season. Now, you're going to have to have some tune-up games before you get into the postseason no matter what, but why, why try and find a place for all of these players who aren't even going to make the playoffs? Why try and find uh, testing kits for these players when you can just get into the playoffs and you can get these players going so that you can give yourself some type of offseason? Okay, so uh, we'll get into the draft part a little later on, so let's take that one off the table for right now. The only way that, I mean, the only way to keep this kind of somewhat in line as the league and the the teams have to do is you almost have to stay somewhat singularly focused uh, on scenarios and then as one scenario blows up you just get rid of it and you, and you go to the next one uh the the challenge joe with the 24 team playoff situation is how do you determine what seven teams do not participate in that scenario all right so i mean you've got 31 teams in the national hockey league Depending on what number, let's just say you pick anywhere from 20 to 24. What Pierre Lebrun was reporting is some general managers or some of the some of the executives that he's talked to is in favor of if you do the top 20 teams, 16, you have eight in each conference, and then you take basically numbers 
seven, eight, nine, and ten. However, you would do that, and and then they would play a little play-in series to round out, you know, to basically figure out how you get to your sixteen teams. Right? That that person would that those two teams would end up taking the 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 eighth seed in each uh, conference. Having said that, now one of the issues that comes out of that is that the teams that have been sitting and waiting to play will be playing their first game potentially, if you don't have any kind of tune-up games, against a team that's already played a three-game series potentially. And that is a competitive imbalance that I cannot see some teams, Joe, being very happy with. So, again, more issues to be addressed. No, I mean, big time, Curbs. This is this is a really interesting – because you think about it from – at first, I heard that. I was like, oh, that's, that sounds like a good deal because you have teams at the bottom. You have teams in the bubble. They're going to be fighting for those last two places like a wild card we see in baseball, and that should be good while the other team is just waiting around. But this isn't like, like you just said, this isn't like the players have been sitting on their butts for a week waiting for the next round to happen. I mean, this has been a long layover. I, I, I would argue strongly that whether it's the Columbus Blue Jackets or a team on the bubble, uh, the New York Islanders, whoever, if you go up against, in the East, just for example, the Boston Bruins, after you played three games and you've made it past that little round and now you're going to face the Boston Bruins in round one of a, a, the scenario playoff they're talking, clearly you have an advantage. And I don't care if Boston's got the Marchands and Bergerons and everyone else. It doesn't matter. At that point, given how long this layover has been, the advantage team is a team that's going to get some games, get some reps in because there is nothing like those first two games, guys. This is why they have training camps. I'll never forget the first week, it's torture. Your hips are about to fall off, uh, going up, battling in corners, battling in front of the net. There's something to be said about that. And once you get through about a week of it, you feel like you're tuned up and you're ready to go again. So uh, I, I cannot see that happening that way. It's going to be on a, a platform where I think that they just have to have either 20 teams or 24 teams, whatever the number they decide on, and they just got to see um, from there. So if you're looking at 24, you got 12 from each conference. One place 12. Uh, in two plays 11, I, I, I can't really see it happening any other way that would be fair uh, moving forward, guys. Well, if you take just the standings as it is, all right, and you can, when they talk about integrity, you can keep the top three teams in each division because that's how the playoffs are set, and then you went into the wild card scenario. So, for example, in the East, your top six teams, the top three division teams are Washington, Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, Boston, Tampa Bay, and Toronto. Carolina is your first wild card. Columbus is your second wild card. Now, again, this is an imbalance in games played. So this is the way the standings were. They'll have to fix it up by choosing the number of games and either rolling some back and doing percentage points, you name that kind of thing to make it somewhat fair. All right. So Columbus would be eight. If you rolled another four teams, that would add the Islanders, the Rangers, Florida, and Montreal. Now, that would at least... That scenario would at least, in the Eastern Conference, have every team that would be playing in the playoffs be at NHL 500 or higher. I almost hate that NHL 500 thing, but so fans understand, it's basically wins and losses, and and the overtime is one point. So it's 500 in the NHL is based on points. All right, Buffalo, New Jersey, Ottawa, and Detroit – they are all they they would all be below it. Now in the Western Conference, your wild card teams would be Winnipeg and Nashville. Your next four teams, Vancouver, Minnesota, Arizona, and Chicago. All right. Chicago's record, 32, 30, and 8. All right. So again, every single team, if you did it that way, would at least be at NHL five hundred or more. The question is, is when you have uh, right now, it would require 
you know, you, you've got teams like the St. Louis Blues at 94 points, uh, Vegas at 86, uh, however that may be. Does a team like Chicago at 72 points get a crack at the playoffs? They were six points out with 10 games to go. It's still a very doable thing. And, and it's if at some point in time here, somebody's just going to end up having to be upset that they got jobbed. Well, that's the biggest thing. Somebody isn't going to be happy with whatever scenario comes out for, through all of this. But I want to go back to the, to the playoffs that you guys were just talking. Would this be an option if you did pick 20 games to play? And obviously the 16 teams maybe don't play right away. 20 teams to play, you mean? 20 teams, yeah. But what if you did rather than you know a team playing a three- or five-game series to have that competitive balance or that advantage – what if one team or the two the the four teams that are playing in? What if it was just a one game play-in? Either way, they've played some games, and oh, I, yeah, I can, get, I can promise you that that is a pretty big one game's point. that big of a difference. Yep. I, well, I and look so. at the goaltender position, for example, too. I mean, yeah, that's true. A, a goalie getting reps, seeing pucks, live action. I mean, that I'm telling you right now, I don't care who's seated where. It doesn't matter. The team that get, can get a game in is going to have clearly the advantage here, guys. Wow. I would agree. All right, we'll take a break. Uh, we're, we're taking this first hour of this week in hockey and just going through scenarios for us, see if we can get the brain juices flowing with you and get different reaction to different aspects of it. Now, a huge aspect to getting things going, and Major League Baseball is figuring this out right now, is how do these players' associations work with the leagues? It's kumbaya to a certain point. And then things are going to get sticky, no matter what the league is. We'll talk about that when we come back on This Week in Hockey on 101 ESPN. Well, we bring you back into This Week in Hockey on 101 ESPN. Glad to have you with us this week. Chris Kerber, Joe Vitale, Alex Ferrario with you once again. Every Tuesday night we come your way from 6 to 8 p.m. with interviews, scenarios, and uh, this week we decided there's been enough discussion and enough uh, potential movements as we get closer to really delve a little bit deeper into some of this stuff guys one of the aspects of this and major league baseball is seeing it right now if the reports are accurate that the owners have approved a, a, a scheme or a scenario to potentially resume and begin their season right around july 4th now you've got to get the players on board and whether it's in the english premier league which has been given permission to start on June 7th in England, whether it's uh, some of the other soccer leagues in Europe, whether it's the leagues here. How this plays out in terms of what players are going to get paid is a maybe, to me, one of the single most fascinating aspects of this. And the reason is it's almost like you have to negotiate a CBA on the fly. You have to be very careful of the court of public opinion here because how the fight between a union and a league plays out publicly could really leave either side, owners or players, in a bad spot considering everything that the public is genuinely dealing with, right? And at the same time, you do have a CBA that has been guidance that financially, frankly, if you move ahead with it, whether it is in baseball – whether it is in the NBA, whether it is in the National Hockey League, you could get to the point where, frankly, some franchises could end up belly up. Uh, I mean, it's not an—it's not just an unknown scenario. Think of the Miami Marlins, you know, for example, and what they've got. I mean, there are scenarios that where a doomsday thing could play out that way. Guys, I, 
I think that publicly it's kind of all been because of the nature of things, very uh, kind of kumbaya, like, yeah, we're working together, we're working together. Um, but now when you start working together to it's going to determine, hey, here's this pay cut, here's this pay hit, here's this, this, then I think you're going to start to see some of the old dynamic almost naturally have to creep back into this, but it's still something that both sides are going to have to figure out and do so, I would think, Joe, as quietly as they can. Quietly and quickly. I mean, quickly is a big word here too, Curbs, because yeah. your point, you can't – we are running out of time. I mean, look what the MLB is going through right now. They drafted out a plan. It's already been approved by the owners. Now it's just got to go to the Players Association. The Players Association has to quickly, again, look over this and make decisions – on the fly. And these aren't easy decisions. No one's ever done this before. I mean, one aspect of the proposal I know that the players have a problem with. Um, you've heard Devin Dubnik speak publicly about it. I've spoken privately to players. Players are not big fans of having to leave their families behind for months on end to finish out a season or a playoff given the uncertainty of the world and is their health going to be jeopardized. That That's going to be the most important thing for the players and the whole association, they need to make sure that that is covered in all angles. And since then, Bill Daly has come out and spoken up saying, we're not going to take players away from their families for two months. It's not going to be like that. We're going to figure something out. So I do believe there's a plan in place, but listen, you have to give these players a big incentive to do this. And I know that you're right, Curbs at the beginning, it was Kumbaya. We're all in this together. Hoorah, hoorah, right? But when it comes down to money and when it comes down to these players' safety, I mean, players through are fathers and their husbands, it's going to have to – the money's going to have to show up for them. And I know the owners hate hearing that, but that needs to happen. But then on the flip side, you're looking at owners who need to also make money too. So it's, it's negotiations that I dealt with as a player uh, with lockouts, but you have a lot of time. Guys, this, this needs to happen pretty quickly. And, Alex, this is the part where – the togetherness of what everybody has been going through is going to start splintering. Yep. Because a business owner that has had to shutter their restaurant doors for good, a person that has been furloughed or laid off, a person that has received a pay cut, which let's face it, is the vast majority of people out there by a long shot. Okay. When they all of a sudden start to hear, wait a minute, you don't want to come back and play this part? Well, didn't the league pay you your full salary already? I mean, the the, the league paid the players. The, right. I mean, if, if whether in my opinion right now, whether a player really wants to come back and play the rest of a regular season is irrelevant. The paychecks went out. you got to play it if, if that's what the league decides to do. So while, yes, you are the product, and yes, you should have some power in determining how things go, right, you are still also an employee just like, like the rest of us. And Joe and, and Alex, that's – that's one of the things where that's where the keep it quiet is going to really make a difference. Now, the flip side of this, too, is whatever concessions are made now is going to be impacting CBA discussions. In a couple of these leagues, the NHL CBA is up after next year. I mean, the business model is completely different. So whatever leverage could be grabbed now by one of those sides, you have to think whether they do it publicly or not. Those are some of the internal discussions because you'd be foolish if you didn't do it that way. 
And I think what people need to understand with all of this is what at least we're seeing it right now from the baseball perspective, because we know and it's been reported that the proposal has been sent to the Players Association and the Players Association weren't happy about it with the 50-50 revenue split. The money is the part that's holding them up. But Buster Olney, Jeff Passan, guys who are nationally reporting on this are saying that this is going to get ugly because it's going to be reported in the media. It's going to be out in the open. And when those things happen, that's where the negotiations can start to split apart. And from that angle, I think the the finance side of it, Curbs, as you were pointing out, is going to be the part that can make this look nastier than what it is. I still think there's going to be a resolution, but when you get the reports out there of the 50-50 split, when you get reports out there that the players aren't happy with that 50-50 split, that's when fans from the other side are going to be looking at this saying, look, this is an unprecedented time. Come back and get paid whatever you want. But Joe, from a former player's perspective, that's true, but we're putting our lives at risk coming back before there is some type of resolution with this pandemic. Well, I think that's what makes this tough is because with lockouts, yes, there's different things you're worried about and both sides can agree on, but essentially it's money, right? It just comes down. It just comes down to money. This, this is not just money guys. This is, this is players who I'm telling you what they're genuinely concerned about their health and the health of their families, given that so much is still uncertain about this virus and, and what's being put out there and what to believe and what to read, what not to read. So that that's where this becomes interesting. I, I talked to a lot of people. They always ask me the same question. Hey, Joe, how's the family? And the second question it always is, are the Blues going to be back this year? I know fans want it back more than ever. I, I get that. And I know that this is why it could be a PR nightmare if this drags on because of money, because People desperately need hockey more than any time. I mean, we're looking at the lockout in 04. I think it was 12 or whatever it was. We missed half the season. There was one lockout that year we missed the full season. We lost a lot of hockey fans. A yeah. lot of people left the game. And for you know, for most of them, or maybe some of them, didn't even ever return. This, this could be one of those situations. If they can't come to agree upon it, you're going to lose a lot of hockey fans because the time for sports and distraction – it's never been as intense and as needed as it is now, guys. Okay, you bring up a, a great point there, and that's where the the temperature of this can change. The 0405 lockout was devastating because it was exactly what we're talking about. The owners and the players couldn't come to an agreement. The ninety four or the yeah the, the ninety four World Series strike. Right, was that 94? Yeah, I think it was 94. Yeah, 94 World Series. All right, when, when the World Series was canceled. Same thing, devastating to baseball because it was the owners against the players. All right, this one is very different because it was nobody's choice. It's, it's our political leaders that really don't have a clue anyway. They're flying by the seat of their pants as it is, right? And I've got no faith in any of them, all right? So because of that, I think that fans and everybody understand it. If the temperature of getting back to play starts to turn and what is would hamper you from playing, whether you're Major League Baseball, you're the NBA, you're the NHL, if if it if it gets if those kind of discussions is what prevents you from getting back to action, then what was not an issue, which was the fans understanding why you weren't playing all of a sudden becomes an issue and can lead to what you were saying, Joe. Now, that's why, guys, I really do believe 
the commissioner that seems to be out in front of this more than any commissioner in sports is Adam Silver. And his comments to the NBA Players Association and the members that he had that were reported over the weekend were very frank, very blunt, and very direct. And and if you are if you're Gary Bedman, if you're Adam Silver, if you're any one of the commissioners of any one of these leagues, you're watching what the others are saying and what the others are doing because except for certain nuances of how your cap is structured, things like that, you are all going to be dealing with a lot of the same issues in some way, shape, or form, no matter the nature of the sport. So uh, that's why, to me, kind of going beyond just listening what you're hearing from your own leagues, really studying what these other leagues are doing, too, is, is an important thing. If you're a fan, keep your eyes open to what these other leagues are doing. Well, yeah, it's a copycat league curve. I mean, look, the NBA shuts it down, NHL follows suit. You know what I mean? So I think that it's important, and, and I think that's the encouraging thing, though, too, that you're looking around, and listen, we saw UFC, the first professional sporting event, happen over the weekend last Saturday. To me, that's that's an encouraging thing. And if you're Gary Bettman, you're seeing that, and you kind of get you kind of get hopeful. You see what's going on in European soccer. You hear the news about the MLB drafting and playing, and now it's handed over to the Players Association. So I, I do believe you're right, and I think that the NHL always seems to be that second tier behind Major League Baseball, obviously, and then I think NBA, for better or worse, too, because it kind of lines up the same time of the year. So I think that any progression with any other sport, I think it, it has to be on Gary Bettman's radar to oh, yeah. listen, to learn, and then just to kind of just follow in that lead moving forward. I don't so much have an issue if the NHL holds off until the middle of July, if that's a date where they could get going. If the if the Premier League in England gets going middle of June and, and they start to find positive ways to deal with either fans coming in or how you deal with it, even the television side without fans, right? It's the old 4-H and you learn by doing. Well, you're going to learn from that. If Major League Baseball starts up July 4th and you get a couple weeks of what it looks like for them to travel and it gives them a couple weeks to deal with the testing scenarios, these are all learning curves that those leagues are going to be going through for you. And I don't know that starting two weeks earlier is going to make all that big of a difference in terms of the grand scheme of how you come out of this. Now, we'll take a break. We're going to continue with this line of thinking because it leads in the National Hockey League to something Alex touched on a little bit earlier. Can you still do a June draft? And then also the salary caps impact even on that draft. That's coming up next on This Week in Hockey on your home for St. Louis Blues Hockey 101 ESPN. We bring you back into This Week in Hockey. Glad to have you with us again. Uh, coming up uh, a little later on in the show, we've got Joe versus Curbs as Alex tries again to get it right. Uh, we've got, you're going to hear from Darren Pang, who had a chance to sit down and talk things over on a Blues video chat with Jordan Bennington, Jake Allen, and Curtis Joseph. How cool is that? If uh, you want to hear that video chat or see it in its entirety, you can log on to stlouisblues.com. Next hour or two, uh, Brendan Leipzig was just dumb. And maybe you don't think he was? We'll get into that. If uh, if you haven't heard that story, well, social media bit another one, and this time he bit somebody in the National Hockey League. That's coming up in the next hour as well. Plus a bit of a preview, you know, in terms of our Play Glorious series that's been airing on Thursdays and Friday nights. Coming up this Thursday night, you'll hear the entire replay of the Blues game against the San Jose Sharks, Game 3, the hand pass game, and then Game 4 where the Blues tied the series 2-2. Each one of those games is preceded by one hour of fresh pregame, which includes breakdowns from the three of us as well as 
uh, some response and some reaction from the players and from members of the media in the opposing cities. And also you'll hear from John Kelly and Darren Pang. A little preview of uh, both John Kelly and Darren Pang breaking down the games you're going to hear this weekend coming up. Gives you an idea, if you've missed it, of what you're missing and what you can tune into coming up on the uh, Thursday and Friday Play Gloria series put out here on 101 ESPN. All right, guys, one of the things that does seem to get some traction, and I want to uh, give some credit here, Jeremy Rutherford's article that was up today on The Athletic is a really good one. Some great comments from Doug Armstrong on this as well. The June draft. Now, normally, for fans that aren't aware, the draft would happen after the Stanley Cup playoffs. You've got your teams that miss the playoffs end up in a lottery to determine the top few picks. If you And then once those teams are set, then based on record, it's your record and how you finish in the playoffs that determines the rest to take you all the way from draft pick number 17 all the way to 31. Blues won the Stanley Cup last year. So last summer, the pick that Buffalo got from the Blues was the 31st overall pick. That gives you the example. The year before, the St. Louis Blues uh, traded Pittsburgh for their 31st pick and uh, and ended up getting Oscar Sundquist, obviously, in that Ryan Reeves trade. So that gives you an idea how it works. But to that point, guys, if you're going to continue the season after you do the draft, it was in draft day or around draft time scenarios that the Blues acquired Braden Shen for Lori Yori Laterra. Right? It was on the first day of free agency after the draft that the St. Louis Blues made the acquisition of Ryan O'Reilly. I just mentioned the Sunquist deal. Right? You've got different scenarios that come about that can happen at the draft. The Joe Vitale, teams are going to have to really assess where they're at. And then the question is, is if you trade a player because the right deal is there at the draft, would that player be eligible to continue your season with you? I mean, think think about that scenario here. Like, draft day trades would almost be, could potentially, and we're speculating here. I think we need to make sure we make this very clear to everybody. This is just speculation. We're playing out scenarios to just kind of open people's minds a little bit. Could a draft day trade of a player, if you hold the draft in June, be like a second trade deadline, and that player could now be playing for another team in the playoffs for the Stanley Cup playoffs if they're played in July. It, it, it's a, it's unbel- It's almost like, it's almost like when I think about outer space curves and how it's infinite. And I just, I, as I dig deeper and dig deeper, you, you eventually will just get lost because you you can't comprehend it. And that's how I feel about this situation. It, it's mind blowing to think of the different situations and scenarios. But the thought of a player being traded now in June and then to play on a different team leading into this whole playoff scenario, but that's, but that's the reality. And I, and I didn't read JR's article yet. You, you mentioned a couple names there about Doug, Doug Armstrong. I know done a lot of work at, at, at draft day, and that's something that he's consistently done as a general manager of the St. Louis Blues. What's interesting is look at a team like, let's just take Toronto Maple Leafs, for example. They have a defenseman problem, okay? They need to go out and get, like, an Alex Petrangelo, right, or a Tory Krug. Now, they can't afford it because they're a cap team. So you would think that the, the GM and the Toronto Maple Leafs are putting some sort of plan together. Where they need to free up a player heading into next season. Does that make sense? Yep. But how, how are you allowed to do that given the situation at hand? So you're kind of you're snake bit. Like, let's say you need to free up William Nylander's contract. You need to trade him at the draft in order to compete next year and go out and get a Tory Krug, for example. 
But how, how can you do that right now? And Tampa Bay, another team that's up against the cap. How, how does that happen? These GMs need to let certain pieces go in order to move forward. The timing of it just sucks. Uh, Alan Walsh even reported about this. He's an agent in the league, and he's talked to every general manager. Not one general manager is in favor of this, guys. No, and, and, Alec, uh, and Alex, here's another part. I don't know how you can hold a draft until you have your potential salary cap scenario set. Because to Joe's point, the draft and trades made at the draft can sometimes help you with that cap management. If you don't know what the cap is going to be or have a range, because the original range that was talked about, now albeit this is what was discussed as a potential, it wasn't it wasn't locked in, was going to raise the salary cap between eighty four to eighty eight million. Well, if you go based on the scenarios now of revenue, the cap should actually drop. Right. Okay. Significantly. Now we I talked to Tom Stillman a couple weeks ago on a piece we put. Obviously, these all there are cap scenarios that are all going to have to be figured out. Takes you back to the discussions we just had, right? About how the players' association and the league have to get it figured out. But again, that's that's another aspect of it where leagues are eyeing timing versus cap decisions versus team decisions versus PR decisions, and it is not an easy thing to mesh. But now you also have ranking decisions and how you end up ranking the teams for the draft. And again, I think at some point in time, some general managers are just going to have to accept, well, this is just going to be the way it is. And I'll give you this example. Let's say that they did that 20-team playoff scenario and the Chicago Blackhawks have a chance to play in, right? You're the Chicago Blackhawks, you play in. You get two rounds into the playoffs, but you know you don't really have a Stanley Cup team. One of these other teams most likely going to beat you, right? Well, you've just given up several draft slotted draft spots because you were part of that. Do you really want to be part of that? Or the flip side of that, if they do the June draft and you're drafting before you find out where you end up, and let's say a team's picking at the third overall pick, and for some odd reason that team finds a way to make some type of deep run. Well, they'll go away from that, but they'll make sure that from a lottery standpoint that doesn't happen. But I do think that what your scenario is, is true, that it could happen right? where a team ends up going on a hot run One of those middle because teams. of a goalie, and yet they had the 12th overall pick. Right. Well, and, and that goes to the Pierre Lebrun audio, I believe, or uh, article that he put out on The Athletic talking about that, you know, teams not having that opportunity to jump up more than a couple spaces, which really ticked off a lot of general managers. But the, 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 the draft day to me, when it comes down to it, is going to be significantly different because of all of these scenarios that we've tossed out there. The salary cap side of this thing because like Joe mentioned if you're going to be cutting somebody from your roster because you have to make that room for the salary well you're going to be looking at that specific area but if you don't have that opportunity to do that that changes an awful lot I mean draft day and I think Doug Armstrong referenced this in Jeremy's article draft day is when all of these general managers are having these conversations maybe the trades don't happen that often but that's where the conversation starts so that when you get to day two three four five in free agency then you start kind of finalizing those deals but if you have an expedited draft or you're trying to get this done early i don't know if those conversations are going to be had which could make the offseason that drastically different if you are joe if you are the montreal canadians you're 31 31 and nine 
you end up having a chance to play in a postseason scenario because of the decision. Look, I realize I'm throwing a lot of ifs out here, folks, okay, but that's some of the fun of this. You have a chance to play in a playoff scenario and, and, and in that hot hockey hotbed, you know, create a buzz. But you also have a trade scenario in front of you that allows you to really improve your team by acquiring a key guy. General managers now have to make that value judgment, and then general managers have just to determine whether or not a player is eligible to play in that postseason. Yeah. Well, because from a player's perspective, Curbs, they're going to relish in that, especially in Montreal. I mean, any any player given a second chance, especially a team out, out like Chicago, for example, yep. they are going to be like, guns a-blazing, let's go get this thing, guys. Like, the LA Kings did it. They barely squeaked in that one year. They win the Stanley Cup, right? Teams have done it before. We could be that cool story. So from a player's perspective, they're going. Like, they're not, they're not stopping. They're not thinking draft. They're not thinking improved team. That comes from the general manager, which begs the question, what kind of product are you going to put out on the ice? I, I remember the Connor McDavid sweep sweepstakes year, Jack Eichel, the number one, number two, uh-huh. going into that, going into that year, uh, Don Maloney, great man. He did what a general manager was probably supposed to do. And he basically traded away all our best players, our, our product on the ice. We were half an American hockey league team. We could not, we just couldn't compete. So you almost think that even some of these teams that get in, the players, of course, would love it, but from a coach, and I mean, of course, the coach is going to put out whoever the general manager wants out there, but it's going to be a, a bunch of management decisions, Curbs, to your point, because the general managers need to make a decision. Do we compete even though we feel like we can't win, or do we just tank and allow that that top uh, tier of picks to come our way? It's, it's all crazy and interesting. It's just amazing to think at the end of this all and the timing of this draft, guys, this could be what prevents Doug Armstrong from keeping Alex Petrangelo to be a blue for the rest of his life. If you think about it, I mean, if, if Doug needs to free up some space at a draft and he can't do that now to keep Alex Petrangelo, I mean, that, that, that's reality. Yeah. Well, it could also end up working the other way, and this is how it wide could. open it, it is. There could end up being some level of cap relief. Yeah. I mean, do you do you for a season? Think about this messed up scenario. Do you, for a season, go with no cap? Wow. Whoa. It's something That's that I big. haven't heard discussed yet, but think about this. Well, actually, we got to take a break. We'll yeah. get into it when we come back, and I'll explain exactly what I'm thinking. Well, we'll wrap up the first hour with that thought here on This Week in Hockey on 101 ESPN. time here this hour we bring you back into this week in hockey a lot more to come next hour we're going to get away from some of the serious talk we, we still have more serious talk to do we're going to talk about brendan leipzig we're going to talk about the american hockey league and that is folks the american hockey league's decisions has a massive impact on the national hockey league and uh, it is not something smaller to be brushed under the table. We'll get into that as well. Darren Pang has a chat with the Blues goaltenders and Curtis Joseph. You'll hear Alex Ferrari will bring you that one. And then, of course, in our next segment coming out, Joe versus Curbs. Okay, guys, I, I said this at the end of that last segment. I wonder if one of the scenarios being discussed is, do you have a year without a salary cap? Or is this a year where you adopt the Larry Bird rule like the NBA has, where one guy that you select, and it has to be somebody that you sign, not somebody on your current roster, where that contract for the first three or four years of the contract until you kind of, however long you figure out this is going to be, that does not count against your cap. 
Does that allow the team like the St. Louis Blues to keep a Petrangelo? Does it allow, you know, the the Toronto Maple Leafs to go out and sign somebody? Maybe you cap that uh, that that Larry Bird figure at a certain amount of million. I have no idea, but that is how creative things are going to have to be able to go. Because I'm just I don't know how you're going to be able to do the math and get this to work, even with the current salary cap, knowing that the revenue is going to drop because you don't know what the scenario is when it comes to having fans in the building, Joe. You know, I don't know either, Curbs. It's, I've never heard anyone propose a, a no-salary cap. That would be kind of bizarre. But, you know, I think the Larry Bird rule can certainly apply if every, play, if every team can participate in that because, I mean, this is a, uh, a problem for Blues fans, I guess. It's not a problem for a lot of fans. It is a problem for us. A lot of people aren't having to deal with an Alex Petrangelo situation. For example, the Nashville Predators, they already took care of their Alex Petrangelo situation when they signed Roman Yossi back in October. So uh, it is interesting. I just wonder, Curbs and Alex, how much are they willing to bend the rules given how it affects not everyone? Does that make sense? Well, yeah, it does. And and, and now, listen, protecting the franchises here is also, I think, a very important part of this. I think you're going to still need to be able to have fans connect in certain things. And I'm not sure that this pandemic could punish a franchise to where, say, you couldn't keep an Alex Petrangelo, right? Mm -hmm. So the message that it sends to the fans of, hey, we're going to work through the – I just gave an almost Harry Carey there. Hi. Hi. Where where it's going to – it it allowed you to keep some franchise stability with your players. Could also be a very important PR aspect here. And and so I, I do think it's it's something that again when you're thinking outside the box, what you have to, you know. But now here's the thing: when you say that there's no cap, I wouldn't expect a whole bunch of teams to go out and just start signing a bunch of guys and throwing out some stupid contracts out there. And the reason yeah, is is because they know that there will be a cap coming right. too. So right. you're going to hamstring yourself somewhere. But if you have the means and the way for one player to manage it. I like the flexibility that could give. Well, and it gives the NHL a taste of what a, I guess, I don't even know if you want to call it a super team, what it could look like, because that's what you have in the NBA. You have teams that don't have the salary cap or they just throw it down. There's the luxury tax, of course, but you can throw whatever you want at players and you can sign them so you can have that. Maybe does the NHL allow that, but I don't know what that would look like free agency-wise because, one, Players want security right now more than anything in this uncertain time. Remember Pierre Lebrun's article talking to Alex Petrangelo. He said he's not worried about the finances as much as he's worried about the security with all of this uncertainty. I don't know if teams would be willing to sign with a team, let's say, for one year with an unknown salary because they have that opportunity because you don't know what that next contract is going to look like. Joe, you've been on this side of things as a player and with your agents. Contracts are a bit of a gamble. Do you sign early? Do you wait? Do you test the free agent market? We've seen players. We saw it with Pat Maroon, tested the free agent market. There was nothing out there. And, yes, it worked out for him signing with the Blues, but he signed a one-year deal, right? And you just brought up Roman Yossi. He signed a deal. They got it done. He's happy. They move forward. Uh, however this plays out, he's a, he's a predator. You're Alex Petrangelo. Those discussions didn't happen early enough, and now you're caught in this quagmire that nobody could foresee coming. It's nobody's fault, but it is now a reality of the business. 
It is. And I, I always would say curbs to that point. We're all players, but we're not all the same. And you have to be, you have to have an agent you trust and you have to have some really good self actualization about who you have to look in the mirror and say, this is what I am. And this is what I'm not. And I think the players that believe they're better than the teams and GMs realize they are, those are the ones that are the problems. Those are the players that end up waiting and waiting and want to wait. And then eventually they're left with a two-way American Hockey League deal. I mean, that's sometimes the way it happens. My point is, when I signed with Arizona, I remember it was it was D-Day. It was decision day. The phones opened up at 11. My, my, my agent here in town, Al Waugh, called me and said, Arizona wants to sign you to a three-year deal. I said, geez, Al, it's the first five minutes. What do you think? Should I wait? He goes, no. Take the money and take it as long as you can because this may not come back. And that's a good agent telling me how to handle my situation personally. Alex Petrangelo is different. He can wait as long as he wants because he's a Ferrari and everyone wants a Ferrari. He's that beautiful black Italian stallion at the, at the auction. He's the last horse to be bitted off and everyone's waiting for that. So he could have waited. And again, you mentioned it and it's true. You can never, you never can predict this. So it's no one's fault, right. but you, you have to argue as a, fan of the blues that you wish something would have gotten done sooner because the fact that it hasn't gotten done yet really does limit what you can do now moving forward when you play the market there are market factors that happen yeah and this is an example of how that could work out in when it comes to athletes we'll take a break come back in a moment we got a whole nother hour of this to go and we're not done with some of the hot stuff you got joe versus curbs pangers talking to goaltenders brendan leipzig what in the I'll leave it there, and then we'll go off uh, in, in some other tangents as well. We're also hitting the American Hockey League in the next hour as well. Stay tuned. Plenty more good hockey talk coming your way here on 101 ESPN. Hour number two of this week in hockey here on a Tuesday night. Welcome back, everybody, along with the voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber and Joe Vitale. I am Alex Ferrario. Another hour of hockey talk coming your way, and really is start of an entire week of hockey talk for you. The Boardwalk Hardwood Floors. Behind the Bench yep. show with Chris Kerber is tomorrow night, and then we have Play Glory, the Blues run to the Cup, on Thursday and Friday night. But, of course, we start off our number two with what we like to call Curbs vs. Joey. Or to be honest with you, Oh, Joe, you got to change the yeah. name now. I, I mm-hmm. have it, I have mm-hmm. it written yep. down. I didn't forget for you, Joe. The new Thanks, rule Kerbs. is who wins the week gets to say the name of the competition. And, Joe, it is called currently... He doesn't remember. You got to tell him. How do you not remember? I, you you started the rule because there were other words what? involved. Wasn't Ooh. it CBC Destroyer of MICDS no. segment or something like that? No, it was close. I had CBC Annihilates MICDS. That's okay. what I wrote mm. down for it. Annihilates. Annihilates <laughs> is a great word. I'm gonna start using that in the broadcast. It's the way to do it. But look, we 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 put Curbs and Joey against each other weekly here on this week in hockey for a little friendly competition. Friendly competition, and Joe, that is CBC, is leading MICDS. Four to two. Okay. Coming off of the finish that lyric, I can tell you both there's no singing involved today. Thank God. But we are going to test your education. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. If you guys (laughs) are ready for this one. Let me know if you remember this game show. 
Probably not. This music sucks. Anyway, we're playing Are You Smarter Than a Fifth Grader. Remember the TV show? Uh, yeah, okay. Jeff Foxworthy yeah. was the host? Okay. Right, yeah. So here's Tough the deal. It would have been more fun Alex. if you had brought up the theme song to DB's Delight. What's that? Look it up. I don't know. It what was that a is. St. Louis based game show for St. Louis students. I, I didn't re- I even realize how terrible that song was. So here's the deal. I put 10 questions. I mixed them up. They're, they're, it's math, it's history, it's science, it's everything. There's 10 questions, five for Joe, five for Curbs, one tiebreaker. Hey, Joe, uh, for the sake of both of us, I hope we tie. <laughs> because that means we're both smarter than a fifth grader. I hope you guys you know go what? 100%. Okay. No, see, I'm I'm no mercy. I'm trying to take this thing down, Curb. Sorry. No, all right, good no luck. No mercy. All right, so since Joe Vitale won last week. Hey, time week, out. Hold on. Doesn't Curb have a fifth grader? This, this this is probably unfair. No, I, no I do not have a fifth no grader. No fifth grader at nope. home? Okay. No I don't think I don't home. think there's any fair or unfair. I got to be yeah. honest. I wasn't smarter than a fifth grader when I put this together. Oh, so good. There's good news yeah. for you. So, Joe, we're going to start okay. with you, buddy, since you won. Are you ready? Let's do it. All right. First one for Joe Vitale. How many teaspoons are in five tablespoons? Uh, Fifteen. Fifteen is correct. That was third three, grade measurements. Didn't three even teaspoons that. to a tablespoon. Hey, listen to me. I'm a baker. When you got to convert yeah, yeast. And Alex knows this. Scale. This is what Alex does when he puts these questions in certain orders. <laughs> it's not certain orders. Yeah. I went through the trivia. Yeah. All right. Well, here's some math Chan- for Chris Channeling Kerr. his inner Bill Belichick. <laughs> That's true. All right, Curbs. Question number one, if Pablo divides 111,111 by the number 11, what does he get? This is fourth grade math. What does he get? He gets... uh, So 111,111 divided by 11. I can't believe this was fourth grade math, guys. It just took me at least 10 minutes. I do that in my head here. Um, one thousand. Say, say the, the the main so number again. One hundred and eleven thousand. Oh, one hundred and eleven thousand. Yeah. Not so eleven thousand. Six ones. One hundred and eleven thousand. Right. One hundred and eleven divided by eleven. Uh, he would get. Uh, let's see. One zero one zero one. So <laughs> one zero one zero one. So ten thousand one hundred one. Ten thousand one hundred one is correct, Joe. He just wow. he just freaking did that wow. in his head, Joe. God, wow. I don't look okay. forward. I actually do look forward to Joe getting a math question sooner or <laughs> Give later. Give it to him. <laughs> Give him the trophy this week. That's impressive. Well, here we go, Joe. You get a math one for you here. Oh, Fill in beautiful. the blank. I, I just did a math one. No, that was measurements. <laughs> Fill in the okay. blank, Joe. They one... both begin with an M, so you should be okay. <laughs> Joe, one tenth. Is to ten percent as one fourth is to what percent? Twenty five. Twenty five is correct. Well done. Good ratios, bud. Go, That's a baker in you kicking in. All right, here we go. Next, right. what's, the, what's the score? Right now, that it's... was so much easier than Curbs' question. Thank you very much, Alex. <laughs> uh, well, was, hey, that was actually higher level of of math compared to what Joe uh, Curbs just did. Not really. Not in wow. your head. Well. Okay. Where'd you, never mind. Score two to one, Joe, on top of curbs. Question number two. Don't, for, uh, they don't say that. Don't ever say that. Come up with a different way of saying that. On top that. of curbs? Yeah, come up with a different way of saying Just that. Get your head out of the gutter. Jeez, curbs. All right. Number two for Chris. The flag of the European Union features oh, a jeepers. circle of how many stars? Oh. Fifth grade history. Wasn't my fifth grade history. The European <laughs> Union didn't exist. When I was in fifth grade, I Yikes. think Czechoslovakia still might have been a country. 
So um, do, do we null it? We don't null it. Uh, I got to take a guess and say uh, European Union. 13. One off. It was 12. Damn it. One off. I was just trying to guess number of one European off. countries. You there. were close, though. Okay. All right. So two to one's Joe on top. Question number three for Joe Vitale. Joe, how many electrons does an atom of a carbon have? Ooh, is it two? Is that your final answer? Yeah, it's not right, though, is no, it? No, it's not right. Six. Ah, shoot. Okay. What am I thinking of? Curbs, which of the following is an instrument in the woodwind family? Is it a trumpet, a violin, or a saxophone? It's a oh, saxophone because fair. of the reed. This this was this was second grade math or uh, second grade band. So I taught myself. Well, I plays did. all these instruments. Uh, I played the violin. I, I learned the saxophone in nine months to play Unforgettable at my wedding and surprise my wife. And what was the other instrument? I didn't. I've never played the trumpet. You learned the saxophone in nine months to just. Oh, I learned just, the song Unforgettable on the saxophone. Nice. Could you yeah. still do it today? Uh, I'd have to practice a little bit, but I could figure That's it out. That's impressive. Okay, tied up, 2-2. Two, two. Here we go. Joe? What round is this? <laughs> Do that, Matt. Do I get a point for that? No, there's, no, there's no math for that. Joe, Curbs, you got one incorrect and two right. Joe got two correct and one or two correct and one wrong. So it's, uh, it's this is tied, the fourth round. We're tied 2-2. Two, two. Yeah, 2-2. Two, okay. two. Yeah. Fourth round. Okay. Wait, yeah, whatever. Joe, what typically what typically what typical Oh, good. Alex passed reading. What typical green (laughs) chemical found in plants uses photosynthesis to turn sunlight into energy? Jeepers. Want to read that again? I kind of want to. Chlorophyll. (laughs) (laughs) That's why I stumbled. I just wanted to get to that part. (laughs) All right. Back to Chris Kerber. That's me. That's you. What measurement unit is abbreviated by OZ? What measurement unit? Mm-hmm. Ounces. Mm-hmm. Ounces nice. is correct. All right, so we have two more, and if you tie, it's going to come down to the tiebreaker because you tied up. Two like so two Kerb, more rounds? Impo- no, one more question. Two more questions. One more round. Jeez, you are a really you guys, bad game show you, host, no. dude. Like you can't keep this stuff straight. You, you guys can, are screwing with my us. head. All, All right. right, this is to Joe. You guys are messing with me here, Joe. Like, How, like Alex Trebek would kick your ass. Well, <laughs> Alex Trebek could kick my ass, to be honest with you. Bob Barker could, too. He'd make now fun. you're going to get him, Bobby. He'd, 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 make, get him, Bobby. he'd make fun of you. Okay. All right, Joe. How many nouns are in the following sentence? The rabbit ran to the cafeteria and ate a big salad. Three. Rabbit, cafeteria, salad. Well done. That's correct. Well done. Wow, you didn't even think of that one either. I don't know if I'm smarter than a fifth grader, but you two crushed it. All right, Curbs, what U.S. state is home to Acadia National Park? Mm. This was fourth grade geography. Oh, baloney. That's what I said. Because I know seventh graders that don't know their state capitals. Um, Acadia National Park. Wow, this is just going to be a freaking guess. How do you spell that, Alex? A-C-A-D-I-A. Trying to think, of, I've seen it on a map somewhere. I got to be honest with you guys, I didn't know it, and I had to Google it to make sure it was right. So, oh, good. Fourth grade, good. Ge- fourth grade geography doesn't do well for me. 
Uh, and if I if I don't get this, uh, Joe keeps the name of the show. Huh? Joe keeps the name of the well, show. If you don't a get this crap. Last question here, Alex. <laughs> Come um, on, that was fourth uh, grade. How is that not your tiebreaker, you moron? Oh. <laughs> like, how is that not your tiebreaker? The tiebreaker. All right, I just got to take. I got so I got a one in fifty chance here. Okay. No, and no, I'm going to rule be called out, the moron here. I'm going to rule out, well, you you already admitted you had to Google it just to see this one, all right? So I'm the question here, right, guys. Um, I am not the contestant. This is such a bad show. Uh, this is basically Curbs ripping out. Yeah. Yeah. It's been called a moron. <laughs> what did you um, call me a couple So I know weeks I got ago. a one in, one in uh, a limited down, Acadia. Uh, is this too difficult? Do you want me to give you an easier question? No, you, it's the question you got. I got to play by the game that, that was sent here. Uh, hell, uh, I have no idea. Georgia. No, it was Maine. Ah, which sounded East Coast like at least. It actually is Maine. Okay, here here is the tiebreaker. See who could get it. I need a ding when we have the answer. The infamous ding. If a car is traveling at 40 miles an hour, how long will it take to go 190 miles? 40 miles an hour? 40 miles an hour, 190 miles. Ding, two and, uh, two and a half hours. Your ding is incorrect. Ding, ding, ding. Hey, it was a tiebreaker, though. It was a tiebreaker, yeah. yeah. So it was yeah. A, how many miles? Uh, 190 miles. 190 miles? Yeah. Kurt, Joe, you just, like, ruined the, the strategy of the ding. <laughs> I was trying to rush the ding because I'm going against a math uh, guy. I need to at least go quick. All right, so I got 40 miles an hour, right? Yeah. Okay, so in four hours, I go 160 miles. 190. I know. And so in four oh, hours, God, I go I 100, 160, yeah, right? Got it. And then I got to divide that by just so every uh, – so it takes me four hours and 45 minutes. Four hours, 45 minutes is correct. I guess, I guess this moron Alex, should have he, made that the Curbs final question and not the main one. What yeah, a, what a moron. That up. Let's what face a moron. it, yeah. What a no. moron. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Doyle rules. Uh, All right. Okay, since I won I, this week again, I hope I'm you end up gonna... driving your car in a banana peel right now, Ferrario. <laughs> I am going to rename the show for next week. Since I won, Alex is a moron. Alex is yeah, a moron. That's there a we great go. Name. I like that that's one. That's how you make curbs happy. <laughs> that's, that's how yeah, you that's, make it. That's good because right. you can't figure out how to do this yet. How many weeks? We're in six weeks into this, and you haven't figured it out yet. What are you talking about? We're seven weeks in, and I have figured this out fantastic. I've had two poor weeks. Two poor weeks. And the the best was, is this a nickname or a wrestling move? Yes, that was a bad one. The Disney one, the premise was smart, but whatever. All right, look, when we come back, we'll take a break and get out of this fiasco here real hurry as we've kicked off the second hour of this week in hockey, which really didn't have anything to do with hockey. Uh, when we oh, come back, the, the St. Louis Blues uh, continue to put out great content on their website. And the most recent one, Darren Pang got together with not only the Blues' current goalies, but also a former goalie in Curtis Joseph. And you're going to hear some of that chat coming up next. If you want to see the full video chat of that, you can, of course, log on to stlouisblues.com. We'll be back in a moment on This Week in Hockey on your home for St. Louis Blues Hockey 101 ESPN. Welcome back, everybody, to This Week in Hockey. Second hour of it here on your home for the Blues 101 ESPN. Of course, with the voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber and Joe Vitale. I'm Alex Ferrario, and we told you about it in the last hour, but Darren Pang had a conversation. Uh, you guys, uh, we've talked a lo- little bit about it before, about your favorite goaltenders, huh? 
uh, around the way joiner. guys have influenced you? Oh, hey. Huh? Yeah, we got a new joiner here. What do you think? We, we're going to add. We got It's only goalie love here, fellas. That's all it is. So it's goalie love. Hey. Hi, guys. Hey, guys. How are you? Hey, what's, what's, going, going, on? what's going on, pal? Uh, not much. I had to get my wife to do the uh, – to put me on here. I'm not too uh, technical savvy. No, you're all set up now. Yeah. Boys, Surprise guests. Right. how's it going? Missing hockey? Uh, a little bit, yeah, I'd say so. Um, could could get back whenever now. I'm ready. You ready to go? Yeah. Well, ready to get it back, yeah. Be around the boys, you know. Yeah, that's the best. Is that what you miss the most, Cujo? I know I do. You know, just being being with the gang, getting ready for battle. Oh, my gosh. Having a purpose, Panger. Having a purpose every morning, getting up, uh, being with the guys, a uh, lot of fun, a lot of laughs. And then competition. You know, you miss, you miss competition. No, no question. Well, I, you know, so that's what I've been doing during the lockout. I've just been, I've just been reading books and stuff like that, you know. <laughs> just shameless, shameless plug, Cujo. Good book right yeah. here, fellas. Really good book. Excellent. So that's, that's what I've been doing, nice. getting prepared for the season. Thanks, Banger. Yeah, no problem. Hey, how tough would it be? You, you went through lockouts, uh, Cujo. Um, Jake, you went yeah. through a lockout as well, right? Uh, I actually got to play. I played in the minors. So I was that playing year, okay. in the minors that time. Yeah. Maybe, maybe. And Cujo, how tough was that? I mean, that's a long time off. And then you've got to kind of jump right back into it again. We were just talking about, you know, doing things to just to stay ready. And, you know, training's one thing, but actually the eyes on the puck and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, you uh, you start to go a little crazy, and and uh, you want to get hockey back so bad. But uh, when you're young like that, um, you can get back into it really quickly. Being older now, you look back and you're like, wow, your career's only so long, and you're missing it. Um, you know those years when you can play. Like being older guys now, you wouldn't want to miss any of your youth. Uh, so it's unfortunate. But in this situation. Um, you're going to miss a few games, but I feel like they're going to get back. Yeah. You guys feel the same way? Or are you preparing mentally that there's going to be a return? Yeah, yeah for sure. I think we all, have, we all are preparing that way because if you don't and then, you know, it comes to a sudden, hey, we're playing here next week, then you got, you got to keep the gears firing in all cylinders a little bit. You know, yeah, it's good to take a little bit of a break, but at the same time, it's just trying to stay mentally engaged. And like I said, Doing those video sessions, I think, with Dave once a week, just keeping the ball rolling a little bit, just keeps the mind in it. And then, obviously, you got to do a lot on your own right now. And I, like Cujo said, you know, to uh, – I don't – I'm sure Benner feels the same way. I, I feel like we're at a point – we played so much hockey during the last year, year and a half, that, you know, this break we can get a few practices under our belt, maybe a game, and, and sort of feel – close to back to normal. So uh, I'm not overly that concerned about it, but it's uh, definitely a different situation. What do you think, Penny? Yeah, I just feel like I'm on standby right now, just uh, working out for, I don't know what the deadline is, you know, but it's, uh, it's part of the job. we got to be ready. And I think everyone's in the same spot, just trying to stay active. And then I think they'll give us enough time to kind of ramp it up when we need it. How old were you, Benny, when you first went to that hockey school in Ontario and, and you met Cujo? Uh, were you a midget AAA player? No, I could be maybe maybe uh, 10 to 12, I would say. 
12 years old. I don't know. That's a way Is that back. about right, Cujo? Do you remember that? Yeah, he was younger for sure. I remember uh, David Franco saying, yeah, it's the, it's the kid with the big feet. <laughs> He's really good. <laughs> He's really good. <laughs> he hadn't grown That's into his feet yet. Dinner. <laughs> no, I remember that, actually, yeah. And, a little and clumsy. Cujo, I, was, I was just in Arizona. Cujo joined us there, and, uh, and he kept telling me about, yeah, I've got to reinvent myself. I've got to relearn the game. Uh, because it got a little bit more tactical, a little bit more of that uh, reverse VH and different different things like that. And uh, and then later on in life, we end up with Vinny here and Cujo telling me about it. So that's that's really something else, huh? Even an old old cat like Cujo uh, reinventing his game back then. So true, Panger. I uh, it was exactly the time where uh, we were in Arizona together. And uh, I remember coming back playing for Arizona, and I had kind of reinvented myself. And the way the guys play now is so efficient. It's, it's, all the ideas are great. It, it makes sense. It's very efficient. And I remember getting on the ice and uh, ha- after a summer of reinventing myself, and uh, it was a big difference, the way to play the game. And uh, I loved it. So I was excited to play again. And we had some great times on the plane talking about hockey and goaltending and uh, now the kids coming up they've learned how to play this way since they were young so um, it's enjoyable to watch. I think people are going to enjoy this because the artist and and it reminded me because I've mentioned to you before Kujo when you and I were together in Arizona we went out we had a couple of glasses of wine one night and he was telling me about his favorite his favorite uh, goalie growing up and he won that he painted stuff and he could do it in a heartbeat and so I kept this for all this time and I said when you, you know, win your 400 and whatever game and you pass Tony Esposito, I'll have this forever. And there's your signature. You drew this in about two seconds for me. Look at Tony O right there. That's good stuff. That's awesome. <laughs> That's the only thing I can draw is Tony O. Tony O. That, so his, his, you know, you grew up, you love Tony O. Vinny, you're a Cujo fan. Jake, you're a Cujo. I mean, everybody was a Cujo fan. I mean, uh, I didn't play against you, Cujo, but I was a Cujo fan because I did watch enough games. But you were talking about the technical aspect of it, and then I'm, I'm looking at some pictures and some saves that you guys have made. You still have to sprinkle in the superlatives every once in a while, don't you? Like, it can't all be perfect. I mean, you made so many great saves. That one on Neuendijk was unbelievable. Jake made one on TJ Brody his rookie year. I nearly jumped out of my seat. I think we might, ha- might have that. Do you remember that? Yeah, that, that was that wild. Save? Huh? That save was I unbelievable. That one. This is all Let's because analyze of, this. Okay, you analyze the panger. <laughs> oh, it's a wide open net. I mean, Brody can't believe it. I mean, I can't believe it. But what struck me most was that you casually, you, you stopped it with your stick. It pops up and you just kind of grab it and you go for a twirl. And you're like, yeah, that's all right. That was your rookie year. I was like, oh, this is going to be some special ride we're going to have here. Wow. Great. Yeah, that yeah. was swaggy. <laughs> that was... <laughs> Pretty good, huh, Cujo? Amazing. It has to hit. It must have hit really hard. You know, it has to hit just perfectly, and when it pops up, it's a great feeling. Yeah, that's awesome. That that's the stuff you live for, right, Panger? That well, that it, as even as a broadcaster, Cujo, when you see that kind of stuff, it's just like uh, I don't know. There's just something about it. It just it's exciting. I I did literally, I literally nearly jumped out of that saddle uh, the saddle dome broadcast booth because I was so excited. <laughs> But here, here, here's one of the saves that Cujo made one time. This one here, this is a playoff game. 
Oh, I, yeah. On, remember that one on New Orleans? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that. We'll that take turned, it. That turned that one around, Cujo, huh? Yeah, no, it was uh, it was important because it was in Game Seven in the in uh, in overtime. So, so yeah, that's important. Uh, game Seven in overtime is an important part of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I, I actually didn't even know where it was. It was uh, I had to play the little shell game with my hands afterwards. But you know, you just hope for the best. You make a dive, and and uh, fortunately, Luke Richardson was hauling him down at the time. Luke doesn't get enough credit. He's a great defenseman. And uh, fortunately, Todd Marchant went right down the other end and ended the game. So um, that's always fun. You remember those saves as kids, guys, when you guys were watching that? Yeah, I remember the one where Cujo, I think he reached behind you and, like, trying to remember it. I've watched too many Don Cherry movies in my life. I'm probably going to be safe mixed up. (laughs) But... I don't know if it was a misplay of a puck and you're racing back for the net or or something. Oh yeah, yeah. I can and, help you out on that, Jake. Uh, yeah, that I know what you're talking about. It was uh, wasn't a critical time in the game, but I went in the corner to play it, and of right, course I'm, I'm in a bad spot because I'm a right-handed shot. I'm in the I'm in the right corner, and Mike Greer loses an edge, and he bowling you know bowling ball me into the, and so I get down and I have to jump up and I get back into the net. And I over, uh, overplayed it. And I think it was Rene Corbet had a wide open net. He shot it and hit, hit the stick, uh, yeah, much like the day you made. And uh, he had a wide, I mean, he had to raise it an inch. And uh, <laughs> it was in the playoffs, so it's important, but it wasn't a game seven. But um, too many of my hockey cards early on in my career, there's no net. If you, if you see any, <laughs> that's not a good thing. All my hockey cards, there's no net in the picture. <laughs> not like the kids today they're in great position these uh everybody's you know got the net behind them but all my hockey cards there's no net it's incredible what these goaltenders can remember from their playing days but uh just the stories that those four were having unbelievable and we just scratched the surface of their conversation it was a 40 minute talk with Cujo Jake Allen Jordan Bennington and Darren Pang and if you want to see the full video check it out on the Blues website stlblues.com we'll take a break and when we come back Brendan Leipzig of the Washington Capitals was in the news last week we'll talk about it next in his disgusting comments on social media that's next on this week in hockey on 101 espn well welcome back to this week in hockey hopefully you enjoyed that chat with uh, darren fang as he did a great video chat with curtis joseph and the blues two goaltenders and by the way for that video chat in its entirety and all the rest of them uh, just log on to stlouisblues.com Blue Note Productions has been doing a great job putting all that content out there. Some more good ones coming. I had a chance to catch up with Sammy Blay and with Vince Dunn. So uh, that chat will be out soon for fans to be able to see. All right, uh, Joe, Brendan Leipzig, a a forward for the Washington Capitals, a bit of a journeyman uh, to a degree um, in the National Hockey League, got caught and bit by the social media bug. He ended up in a group chat with some friends of his, with some just downright nasty, uh, brutally harsh commentary on 
on women and, and and how you treat them, things along those kind of lines. Uh, somebody, even though all the posts were deleted, naturally screenshots happened. And so the screenshots were put out. You, you could find them there. Uh, the National Hockey League uh, came out and came out harshly on the misogyny of the nature of the tweets, uh, or not the tweets, but of, of the text exchange in a private group chat. And uh, and said, obviously, it's not acceptable. The Washington Capitals then did a quick look at it, and they put Brendan Leipzig on waivers for a purpose of his unconditional release. I have a hard time seeing anybody signing him at this point in time in the nature of today. Look, if this had been the NFL, if this had been the NBA, or if this had been Major League Baseball, it would have been a much more talked about story on a national level than it is. So once again, the National Hockey League able to fly a little bit below the radar on this. And you don't see too many examples of this in the NHL. But nonetheless, Joe, Brendan Leipzig is uh, I really have no idea what he's thinking. I'll save some of my opinions on this until I hear what you guys have to say. But right or wrong or indifferent, he is now out of the National Hockey League for the time being. You know, I, I've been going back and forth on this, guys, for a while. Uh, first, I mean, he was a knucklehead, an idiot. He should not have said those things. I do not stand by or support or anything he did. Did every hockey player, when they see this, when they saw this story, check their phone and make sure they have a lock on their phone? Mm-hmm. Yes. Did every player who doesn't have a lock on their phone put a lock on their phone? Yes, because... They've all been down that road. No, no one's perfect. And unfortunately for Leipzig, he got caught. It's just that simple. Does this, does this language happen? It does, guys. It happens in locker rooms. It happens on text lines. Teams have team chats, and they can get they can get rough. It's one of the areas of hockey that I wish would change, which is I want to talk about a little bit maybe later after I hear your guys' opinions initially about how I think it should have been handled moving forward. But my initial thoughts was he was an idiot, stupid mistake from a young kid, and you're right, Curve. I, I don't think he'll he'll ever play himself, or anyone's going to take a chance on him moving forward. That's the same thing that I thought with this too. I mean, look, I'm I'm just as about the same age as Brennan is, and you know, you, you just you always think of the repercussions of what you say and what you put out there, and the conversations that you have. And look, everyone's young, everyone makes mistakes, but to this level, I mean, th- there's no there's no reason for this conversation, and it's just stupidity at its finest. But on the flip side of that, I did see and I saw a couple of former players and current players kind of put conversations out there that I wonder what would happen to leagues, whether it be the NHL, NBA, NFL, Major League Baseball, if all of this information, like if 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 a, if a high-level player's information were to be leaked out or if something, everybody's having these conversations, yes, but the fact that it was leaked is the problem. And, and that's the part that it's like, okay, I, I can see that angle to it, but again, don't have those conversations. Don't put them out there. But the... the, the there's pu- no excuse for this. There's no excuse for it, yes, but... There's Again, no but. It's not just this player, though. There, this, this is, is the one we're talking about. So, so th- there's no. I, I, I'm trying to find the but. I just think there are so many of these conversations happening. No, it's okay. Okay, I know where you're going with this. Okay, sorry, sorry to jump in here on this one, but but yeah, okay. This I relate this to the, whether it be Deflate Gate, Spy Gate. Uh, stealing signs, okay? In this one, say, how many times do you hear people say when you're discussing those things, well, everybody does it? Oh, yeah. No, not everybody does it. Correct. And just because you think more people are doing it doesn't excuse it. Here's the difference in this one. Brendan Leipzig was an idiot. 
It's a 25-year-old guy. Now, look, I, I do believe, one, I don't believe in the cancel culture at all. I think that's stupid. I don't believe that you punish somebody now unless it's like a murder or, you know, or some violent crime for something that happened 25 years ago. All right? Cultures are different. He grew up in the current culture. Right. Okay? If, if he grew up with, with, and I don't know the family, I don't know, if, if it was bad parenting, if it was whatever, so be it. If it was that he was coked up and had a real drug problem, so be it. If part of this was on drugs, I mean, then, then the PA has opportunities for him to go and get and get and get some help. That that's all. I understand all that, and I'm very cognizant and try to be understanding of of of, of an addicted scenario. There, having said that, what he wrote, and yes, it's a conversation between two people. But he did it on Instagram. That's just a level of stupidity. Right. Okay. He it wasn't it wasn't I, I send a, a text message to you, Joe, and then somebody at the bar steals your phone, screenshots it, and sends it to themselves. He did it on a public forum. He did it on a social media forum. There is no expectation of privacy on any of the social medias, no matter what the privacy policies may say you can't expect it and if you're 25 years old making money and playing in the national hockey league and are too dumb to figure that out well the heck with you but then on top of that the nature of what he was saying right was so far wrong that yeah i get it does do do people talk that way yeah do they act that way yeah to do that on social media is just ironically moronically stupid and it's his own fault so but then you're saying curbs that we should be attacking him because he's an idiot for using social media that way not for what he said no i have a real problem with what he said but no see i do too but i I cannot but but again i'm not the judge or jury on that that's the life he has to live you know and 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 it's a shame but having said that i do believe that in this case the washington capitals were right i do believe that the nhl is right and that you don't have a right to say anything you want to say if you want to stay employed it's sort of like even even if we simplify this a little bit guys you ever go on to some you see somebody's social media account uh my tweets are my own my opinions are my own well that's great but it doesn't mean that and, and as much as free speech is out there it doesn't mean that speech doesn't have consequence and in this case the consequence could be his career curbs what 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 do you do because I, I i fully support you i i, I agree what you're saying because i think it's disgusting i i don't talk like that personally so i i don't believe in the that's hockey culture that's how the boys talk i've never agreed with it Whenever my teammates talk like that, I just remove myself from the situation. Right. So there are players that don't do that. But what I have an issue is with now. What if that was TJ Oshie that did that? What do the Capitals do? Like or to me, are they using same this thing. kid like a pigeon? No, nope, same oh, so thing. So they're kicking him off. They're kicking I, him I off have, the team. Yeah, because he do that. A hundred percent, they do it because there is the court of public opinion won't let you do anything. But okay, now that doesn't mean that you do it because of the court of public opinion. I think you almost have to do it because it's the right thing to do. That is not what you want representative of your organization. Like, like again, if, if, if you're dumb enough to put that on a social media platform, even if it is in a group chat, right? Well, it was the, it was the personal messaging. On, 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 look, I'm not, 
I'm not it's def- still the platform. I understand. I'm not defending him at all. I think it's 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 ridiculous what he put out there. But what I'm saying is, a 25 year old using Instagram is to what somebody 20 years ago thought was just a phone conversation. No, they, no. I think a 25 year old looks at it that way. Well, then they're dumb. Oh, I agree. Then, 100%. Then somebody didn't reach out to them and say. It's social media, right? Like, but if you're 25, shouldn't you understand the so the, the nature of social media right now? I don't. I just don't know if people really understand. How, I mean, look at look at people who use certain social media apps or something that has tracking ability on it. That I mean, like it's it's the parents' responsibility, yes. But I think in in I would imagine in his light, he's looking at this as oh well it was a it was a personal message, so how am I supposed to know somebody's gonna leak this? All right, out let me there? let me let me go this way too, okay? Maybe we should be like I'm maybe we should be disgusted by what his comments were. Maybe the story should actually be his comments, right? And how inappropriate and wrong they were. Right? And maybe we should say, well, that's just him being him and he's got a freedom to think about whatever he wants to think. Yeah, okay, I understand that. Right? But maybe that's not okay. Right? Maybe we should stand up against that. And frankly, that's what did. It's not that he was using a social media platform, it's his comments, and they were so off color along those lines that that's what got him. You know, and, and I think. Agreed, one hundred percent. You know, and and maybe maybe as a society we should stand up more against that and just continue to pound it home that that's that that's not okay. I have no problem with what the NHL said. I have no, and I'll tell you this real quick here, guys. All right, here this was his apology, Joe. All right, yesterday my friend's Instagram was hacked and an individual circulated images that a representative of a private conversation I was a part of. I fully recognize how inappropriate and offensive these comments are and sincerely apologize to everyone for my actions. I am committed to learning from this and becoming a better person by taking time to determine how to move forward in an accountable, meaningful way. I am truly sorry. Oh, bunch of BS is what that is. You know, do me a favor. Do me a favor. All you athletes out there, anybody out there in the public eye. Right, myself included, Alex, you included. You do something stupid, own it, and like I guarantee you, Brendan Leipzig has never put a sentence like that together in his life. Oh yeah, you can no, tell I that know. that was put I together. Know. Like, come on, like, like it is that type of apology in this situation is so stupidly insincere. It's not even funny. Well, and that's why I keep going back and forth about it, Kirby, because a part of me wants to be like, you know. If, if my daughter, if this happened to my daughter, my son, I'm not kicking him out of the family. Like, w- at what point do we educate? At what point do we say, no, we're not, we're not expelling you. We're actually keeping you, and we're going to teach you. I mean, Nick right. Saban, it's a great story. Uh, Musi Muhammad back in Michigan yes. State, back in 93. Remember that whole yeah, story? Yeah, I know the story you're talking he, about. Absolutely. He, he, he had a moment where his wide receiver, he was on probation for marijuana. He got caught by the cops. He had a gun in the car. Everyone said, get rid of this guy. Nick Saban did it. He right. suspended him, yeah. but he educated him. He taught him. What happened to this guy? He's one of the greatest Panther wide receivers in NHL, excuse me, NFL history. He's a man of the community. He's got a big family. He runs a business. He, he turned out to be a wonderful human being, but he was given a second chance. So that to me is like part of it. But then the other part is like, maybe he's just that big of a D hole, if you want to say that, that he doesn't even want to improve. And then you have to let him go. So well, like, but you have to let him go. Trust the Washington Capitals. But you have to let him go. I mean, he has to be the only way you could do this is to waive him. Otherwise, you have to pay him something right now. Now, I listen, here's the flip side. He is 25. He's not condemned to this reputation for the rest of his life. 
So if the apology that your lawyer wrote for you, right, is somewhat sincere, then it'll be up to you to fix it and change it with with your actions. You know, and I'll, listen, Rudy Gobert's apology was sincere, mm-hmm. and then his actions afterwards followed it up. And I don't think it was anything quite like this, right? He, I mean, that that was that was stupid. That was stupid with a guy who doesn't have a, a, a stupid reputation, right? Right. You know, th- th- but th- this is this is one where now it's up to him to rehab it. You know, should Bill Peters be allowed to coach in the National Hockey League again sometime down the road? We'll wait and find out. You know, should Mike Babcock coach again? Well, yeah. Should Leipzig maybe get a chance to play again? Yeah, if, if there's amends in your show. But no team should hire him if you do your research and you think that this is the person. Because sometimes, you know what, you just have bad people too. Yeah. And, and that's part of it. All right, that's a well, that's that, that one could get us fired up, couldn't it? Holy moly. No. All right, let's take a break, and when we come back, we wrap up this hour uh, and our final hour of this week in hockey. Quick talk about the American Hockey League, maybe a little what we learned this week as well. Bring you back in a moment on This weekend Hockey on 101 ESPN. One final time, we bring you back into This Week in Hockey. Hopefully you enjoyed the show today. Man, did we have a lot to go through. That last second segment really fires me up. I just... I don't know. I, you you want to have an extremely understanding approach, but at the same time, sometimes stupidity just blows your mind a little bit. And I, I have no idea just sometimes where the balance between accepting stupidity as a reason for it is, is worth it. I have no idea. I mean, again, shoot, I'm almost 50 and we'll continue to learn, I guess. Hey, um, the American Hockey League this past week, fellas, uh, Canceled the rest of their season. Now, this is not a surprise. We touched on it with uh, Pierre Lebrun a couple weeks ago, or Michael Russo actually last week. Um, it's not a surprise. Every one of the teams in the American Hockey League, just like basically every minor league team in baseball, it's 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 98% gate-driven. If you can't play in front of fans, there is no you will just lose money and you will lose it big. Right now, some of the teams are run by NHL teams and owned. Some are not. The new affiliate for the spring or for the St. Louis Blues, the Springfield Thunderbirds, is a independently owned team. It is not owned by the St. Louis Blues. So, having said that, Joe, part of the real impact of this is going to be though. What do teams do? Let's say the NHL could start up, but maybe you still in some of these areas can't have fans, and the AHL hasn't started up. What do you do with a team full of prospects that you're trying to to stay healthy and keep going? Are you able to carry them under an AHL salary while they're traveling with the National Hockey League? I mean, all those. All those questions uh, remain to be seen, but it is extremely impactful. Like even, even as Jim Thomas, uh, you know, said, Craig Berube and Doug Armstrong are talking about what call-ups are necessary from the American Hockey League clubs, like a Billy Huso, you know, that you would call up to back up at Bennington and Allen if play gets started again. That you need to keep an eye on with the AHL shutting business down for the rest of the season, at least. Yeah, Curbs, and I think that you know it was a, it was sad news, obviously, because you see why it had to happen. You expected it. You, you always hope that that's not the domino effect coming, where once that league gets canceled, then the NHL is coming. So, and I, I don't think that is the, the case. So, if people are worried about that, I think it's completely different situations. But I was saddened to hear that because, listen, this was this was my most fun hockey years ever. It was my four years in the minors in Wilkesbury, Pennsylvania, small town northeast. It's where we played three and threes and four and fives, four games and five nights. And then we would just get bombed at the bar on a Saturday night and have all Sunday off. I mean, we were making peanuts and yep. we and loved each other. And we, and we were eating them too. And in bus rides. And we were just trying to make it to the NHL. And every kid on that team were pulling for each other. We were like a big family. So this was sad to me. You know, Curbs, it's, it's sad to think that, you know, a lot of people who don't know who Connor Makey is, 
We may never know who Connor Makey is. We may, we may not. Connor Makey is the number one or one of the top prospects. He's out of Minnesota Mankato. Terrific defenseman. He's an under. He's not drafted. He had a great college career. He's he stayed another year at Mankato, and who knows what kind of shot he gets in the near future. Another example. I mean, Chris Kunitz. He's won four Stanley Cups. Yeah. He came out of Ferris State. He was not drafted. He relied on the American Hockey League. He left yep. Ferris State his senior year. He joined Cincinnati. He played a year in the minors before he eventually got called up to the Anaheim Ducks. And look at the career he had because of that opportunity. 80% the of the players Hockey- in the in the NHL right now have played at some point in time in the American Hockey League. And it should be 100%. Even the Sidney Crosby's, because that's the league where you learn to be a pro. That's the league where you learn to grow up and stop doing stupid things like this Leipzig kid did. I mean, that is, it's a grooming league. You learn how to handle yourself and conduct yourself, how to dress. It's an important league. And to me, it, there's a jigsaw puzzle with the NHL and the American Hockey League. That's a huge piece to that jigsaw puzzle. Now, I'm curious, too, what this cancellation of the AHL season does for the upcoming draft. I mean, we talked about it already, and I'm not saying it's going to steer general managers away from drafting people or something but what does that do for the growth of some young prospects well, what, you is, know, what does that do stunting their growth in terms of how long it takes them to get to the nhl well you know that look i don't i don't think it's going to have a massive impact because you still have to stockpile your organization correct and, and it just may mean that they don't play for part of the year or what you are doing is instead of them playing you are running a long 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 training camp thing you're working on scrimmages you're you know if you're going to put your players in Springfield and they're not able to go, do you do do you schedule some things with Providence? You know, just you know, some joint camps kind yeah. of thing. Do you make? Do you do like a prospect tournament? You know, like the Blues have done in Traverse City. Do you use something like that in the American Hockey League again? They're going to have to get extremely creative along those lines. But again, a very it, it is it's it it's not news if you're a, a fan of the NHL that you just brush under the carpet because. There is a lot of impact in terms of what that means. And again, if you're the National Hockey League and you don't think you could play in front of fans until November or December potentially, and again, all that yet to be determined, you got to think it's going to be the same way for the American Hockey League. Yeah. You know, and the same financial issues that hit you at this level are, are going to hit even more majorly at that level. I mean, when I was in the American Hockey League, we had a staff of six people. Six. <laughs> and you still ran an entire organization. Just like an NHL team, you know, you just had a lot more people that did it on a smaller scale. So really a fascinating thing. Fellas, that's a, that's a lot to get to today. Nice show. Good job. That was Beautiful stuff. We, we almost need a three-hour show. Yeah, you know what? With one, what's going on. One hour on, for each of us. Yeah, we, we easily could have. Uh, have Kirby versus Joey round two. Oh, man. Well, listen, in, in Play Gloria, so which fans are going to hear on Thursday night, you know, we're continuing and it's the hand pass game. And then it's game four on Friday night, and one of the things we didn't even get to in this show is how bad calls specifically impacting San Jose's playoff run last year directly resulted in several new rules changes. Right. So we'll we'll get into that next week as well. Coming up tomorrow night, the Boardwalk Harbor Floor is behind the bench show. We're featuring Mike Van Ryan. We're going to talk it over with Mike Van Ryan and kind of talk about his career and how it eventually morphed into coaching and then lifting a Stanley Cup. That's coming up tomorrow from 6 to 7. You've been listening to This Week in Hockey Along with Alex Ferrario and Joe Vitale, I'm Chris Kerber. Have a terrific night. We'll see you all tomorrow for Behind the Bench uh, again from 6 to 7 p.m. It's been This Week in Hockey on your home for St. Louis Blues Hockey 101 ESPN.